Shalom. I'm Rabbi Mark Goldsmith, and I thank you for listening to the Progressively Jewish podcast, an opportunity to explore and connect to Judaism through a progressive lens. For this podcast, we're going to be speaking about holiness. Holiness through the light of Musar, uh, which you'll hear more about a little bit later. Musar, the tradition of working on your soul. Now, this Torah portion this week is Shmini, which talks about the laws of Kashrut, among other things, and says that the reason why we keep Kashrut is in order to be holy. Kadosh. It's about Kadusha. We're going to be talking about Kadusha from a different lens, although we will touch about on Kashrut a couple of times. And joining me to explore holiness and Musa today is Rabbi Marsha Plum, Rabbi of Congregation Mishkan Tefillah. Mishkan Tefillah is a wonderful congregation in Brookline, in Boston, and you must go visit if you ever find yourself there. And I'm Rabbi of Edgware and Hendon Reform Synagogue. Well, let's get started. So, first of all, why this subject and why Rabbi Marsha Plum? Well, for me, the reason why I'm so pleased that Marsha's here with me is because Marsha introduced me to, turned me on to Musar as an approach towards holiness in regular everyday life. Uh, the first time I experienced it with her, she was teaching at Limud about anger. And I was thinking, what's Jewish about anger? And through Musar, I began to understand that. So, Marsha, can I ask you to introduce us a little bit to what Musar is about? Hi, Mark. It's great to be with you. And it's great to be with all of you who are listening to this, whether you're doing the laundry or taking a walk or whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this. Um, and at the same time, while you're listening, I hope that you're also a seeker who wants to work on your own soul, just like uh, Mark and I do. The first time I heard about Musar was when I was in rabbinic school. And uh, I was taught it as a genre of Jewish literature, because in fact, that's what it is. It began in the 11th century. And I know you're going to talk about that in a little bit more. But then I was given my first uh, holiness exercise, my first holiness homework, as it were, um, which was that I was told that I was to write down a, I was to write down 100 blessings every day because Halakha tells us to say 100 blessings every day. But my Musar assignment was to write 100 blessings every day for a month and each one had to be different. So I had to write in the end 3000 things that in effect I was grateful for. So every day I would write down things that I saw that made me realize that uh, I was grateful. So one day, the first day I wrote, um, I stepped out of my, my flat and I wrote, I'm grateful for the blue sky. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. So those were three things that I was grateful for. So I was off to a good start, but then I couldn't think of any more. And I realized that actually I was gonna have to push myself to look for the good and to find the things to be grateful for. So 
I continued on and I found 97 more that day. Um, things like, thank you, God, for green leaves. Thank you for my car. Thank you for the building that I was taking classes in. Um, and I went into great detail. And after a month, I understood that life was full of miracles and I hadn't been paying attention, that life was full of holiness, full of, of ways to be more aware and appreciative and self-reflective than I had understood. And that was beginning, that was the beginning of my Musar journey. So Musar is very much about how do we wake ourselves up in a way to experience the world in the way that makes it meaningful and also enables us to work on ourselves. So Musar is also about working on changing habits in ourselves that are self-destructive. And it's not just study, is it? It's not just study of text. It's also practice and what you actually do. Uh, Sadia Gaon, when he wrote one of the Musar texts back in the 12th century, his book of beliefs and opinions includes a chapter saying how to behave in the world. It's like literally, what do you do? So tell us a little bit about that mixture of texts and practices, what you actually do. I'll give you an example from um, both from our parasha, Shmini, and from the founder of what's known as the Musar movement, um, Rabbi Israel Salanter from Lithuania. Rabbi Salanter in the 18th century decided that Musar would be a, a really good method to help Jews stay Jewish um, because it's about, um, it's about understanding Jewish texts but making them real and relevant for ourselves and making sure that we live up to the values that we think are most important. So here's an example based on Kashrut. So Rabbi Salanter, um, sorry, there was a, a big macher in the yeshiva that Rabbi Salanter founded. And this macher was very wealthy and he supported the yeshiva and he wanted Rabbi Salanter to come to his home for Shabbat dinner. And Rabbi Salanter kept saying, no, I can't, I can't go because your home isn't kosher. And the, finally, what, the, what this donor did was he built a brand new kitchen and he brought in brand new dishes and brand new cutlery and everything to make sure that it was completely new and so completely kosher. And he invited Rabbi Salenter again. And Rabbi Salenter said, oh, okay, then now it's kosher. I will come and have Shabbat dinner in your home. And this macher was so excited and so thrilled that he set the table really well. He had all this new china and all this new cutlery and everything. And Rabbi Salenter arrived at the house and the man was very proud. But then he said, he saw that the challah cover was not covering the challah. And he shouted at his wife and he said, how could you be so stupid? You left off the challah cover and, and the great Rabbi Salanter is here and you've embarrassed us. And Rabbi Salanter got up from the table and he said, I can no longer eat in your house. 
And the men said, why? And Rabbi Salenter said, because your home is not kosher. And the men said, what do you mean? I just built this brand new kitchen. It's completely, it's, it's to the exact specifications of the kosher laws. It's exact. How could you say it's not kosher? And Rabbi Salenter said, anyone who treats his wife the way you treated your wife just now means that your home is not kosher. Your home is not holy. You don't treat people in the way you should. You may have perfect kashrut according to Jewish law, but you don't according to Musar. So therefore I cannot eat in your home. Well, thank you for the story. And that, and that really is a beautiful illustration because it's how you do the mitzvot that you do is so important within Musar, isn't it? That idea that anybody could potentially do the mitzvah you know you can do things that seem like holy things but if you don't do them in a holy way what was the point indeed there's a beautiful quotation from from Maimonides which said you can be a complete scoundrel within the license of Torah what's really necessary is your inner trays and what you do inside so just a little bit of history of Musa um Rabbi Marsha mentioned that it goes back a hell of a long way um to, for example, Bachia ibn Pakuda in 1070, who wrote his book, Chavot Halvavot, The Duties of the Heart, really looking inside, what do you do? Who are you? What trays do you have? Uh, we're going to talk about Midot, uh, which is uh, a translation of that into Hebrew a little bit later on. And then it continued around that time in medieval times and came back up again, as you said, in Vilnius in Lithuania and yeshivas around Vilnius um, in the 19th century and early 20th century, a time of enormous change of modernism. You mentioned Rabbi Israel Salanta, but there were a number of different uh, yeshivot around there, some of which eventually transferred to Israel later on uh, with different leaders um, and with slightly different ways of doing Musar. But what maybe brought them all together was at a time of great social change. And so people were looking for who am I inside and what would that how can I work with this world as I am? And Musa again has become very popular. I know that you've been teaching Musa for a long time, uh, both in Britain and also in the US. And the Musa Institute, led by uh, Dr. Alan Marinis and Rabbi Avi Fertig, has been teaching people all around uh, the States. And uh, Rabbi Monique Mayer um, has really brought it to Britain as well. And together, she and I have been trying to create a Musa UK and teaching it here. But why? Because we're in a time of enormous change. And so, who we are inside begins to become difficult. Now, how do you think those things are linked together? Why do we try and look inside during difficult times, do you think? It's interesting. There is another story about Israel Salanter that says that um, on Yom Kippur, he realized that there were a lot of Jews who still had to work on Yom Kippur because of poverty and, and the needs of their families, et cetera. And what he decided was to take his shofar to a building site where he knew there were a lot of Jews working on the building site. And he blew shofar for them there. And he said, while you're hammering your nails, you also need to be hammering on your souls. So you need to be, you may not be able to be in shul. You may not be able to say the Kol Nidre prayer, but while you're working, 
you can still repent. So it, it's, it isn't so much about what's going on externally to you or making sure you're doing all the, the external things. What you need to be doing is focusing on your own soul and your own inner life. Bahia Ibn Pakuda said this beautifully. He said, um, you might know how to build the best sukkah according to the most halachic way, but it's not, that's not enough. You also have to be building your soul so that your soul is as holy and as, um, uh, as ethical as it can be. In times of difficulty going inward, especially during this pandemic, we have not been able to go outside in the external world so Musar has been has given us a chance to go internally. It's a perfect time really to go inward and say, I'm gonna let go of external focuses and external appearances. I'm gonna work on myself. I'm gonna look at what things about myself that I need to change that will enable me to be the person that I should be, the best person that I can be. Uh, I know uh, Alamuinis speaks about a soul curriculum that you're kind of trying to, you know, we, we have our kind of career curriculum. We're trying to do what we do in our career. We have our family curriculum, what we're trying to do with our families to bring up children, to bring up those around us, to be part of that. Alan talks about the soul curriculum, what's inside. Uh, there's a quotation that he shares in one of his books um, from the Hafez Chaim, a rabbi in the 19th century, who said, I set out to change the world, but I failed. So I decided to try to influence the Jewish community of Poland, and I had no more success. And then I gave all my effort to changing my own family, and I failed at that as well. And finally, I decided to change myself. And that's how I made an impact on the Jewish world, which I think is a beautiful idea. It's what we do with ourselves is what enables us to have a positive impact. Now, I know that the way that Musa breaks it down is in the concept of midot, the idea of various different soul traits that we can work on. Could you speak a little bit about midot, please, Marsha? Sure. So um, the way Musa works is it works by saying that we all have qualities. We all have traits um, like the trait of patience or impatience anger. We all have anger. We all have compassion. Uh, we all have love. Uh, we all have envy. None of those are good. And none of those are bad. The traits are neutral. The question is, how do we use them? Do we use our qualities for good or for ways that can be self-destructive or are hurtful to others. So for example, let's take the anger from the Limud workshop. We all have anger. Maimonides says that if you don't have anger of some kind or another in some way or another, it means you're probably dead. So we're, we're, it's okay to have anger. The question is how much anger and when do we use it? There are times when we need anger, like righteous, ang righteous indignation, to be angry at social injustice and to do something about it. But there are also times when we overreact and we get too angry 
or angry at the wrong person at the wrong time, um, or express ourselves in a way with such anger that we can't be heard. So what, how Musar works is you pick a quality, a trait that's in ourselves that we know we need to work on, like anger, let's say, for example, and then we study texts around that trait and we do spiritual practices around that trait to try and draw our awareness of it, see when it comes up for us in our daily lives, and then work on it to be more conscious of it and choose when to use that trait rather than be overwhelmed by a feeling of anger. The point with Musar is to, to decide how to use our anger rather than be overwhelmed by the feeling of anger. One that I, when I learned with you, I found just so striking to me was the trait of humility, anava. And I guess I'd always thought of humility in this way, you're thinking about bringing yourself down, you know, sort of uh, keep yourself out of, out of the way and don't say too much and things like that. And it wasn't that at all. Instead, it was that don't occupy any more than your space, than your place, but also don't occupy any less than your space, as in be in the right place for you. You know, make sure that you are there when you're needed, where you're the person who can help and feel welcome to speak up. That's fine. That's still humility. And of course, one of the beautiful things of Musal I love is that it uses Jewish texts and Jewish examples. So it speaks about Moses, who weirdly, it says in the Torah, was the most humble man ever. But this person led 600,000 people out of Egypt. How could he do that and be humble? And the point was, when Moses was the great Moses, he was occupying just the right space, doing what he was supposed to do. But when he steps out of that into too much, that's when, in the end, he can't do it anymore. I just found that so striking because it stopped me thinking of being humble as just sitting too far back. Um, but at the same time, you know, arrogance is too much the other way. Um, and you know, sort of a base self-abasement is too much the other way, something mm -hmm. in the middle. Um, so thinking about those traits is, I know one of the things that's important in Musa is journaling, just kind of recording what you're doing, understanding yourself. Could you speak a little bit about that? You mentioned it with the hundred blessings for the day. That must have been a journaling exercise of extreme um, <laughs> discipline. Yeah, there are, by the way, about 150 Musar Midot, about 150 Musar traits that wow. exist it, within the Musar literature. Um, and I'm actually working on creating a new one, a new Mida on grief that doesn't yet exist, but um, building that Mida. Um, one of the very important things within Musar is a something called Heat Lamdut, self-learning, self-reflection. So constantly, continuously reflecting on how we're doing, what we're noticing about ourselves, not in a judgmental way, just in an observing way. And one way to do that is every day, at the end of the day, to journal, to make notes on how we did around the midah that day, on how we did around anger or how we did around um, humility or whatever it is that the, the trait is that we're working on, to journal about it, take some notes about it, to reflect for ourselves. We need to come to an end uh, of this podcast and uh, another piece from Salanta, Rabbi Israel Salanta, that I think 
reflect where you started uh, your first quote about uh, Kashrut and that real Kashrut was what happened in that man's house. He said, a pious Jew is not one who worries about his fellow man's soul and his own stomach. A pious Jew worries about his own soul and his fellow man's stomach. You know, you choose what you eat, but what do you feed your soul with? And that's what Musa really means to me. It's really something special. It's been extraordinary to begin to study it over the past couple of years that you inspired me to, Marsha, and I really thank you for that. And that's been a pleasure to do with Rabbi Monique Mayer, because Monique has inspired many in this country to begin to take up Musa. And um, just to say a little bit about that as we come towards the very end of the podcast, which is that Monique and I created a Musa UK conference last year um, in 2020. Marsha was one of our teachers, so was Alan Marinis and, and uh, Rabbi Fertig. And what we did is we brought nearly 100 people together to begin to study Musa. And then a wonderful cohort of people have continued to study in great detail since November, actually up to next week. In fact, that's the end of our first Gates of Everyday Holiness course. And we hope to continue that in the UK. Uh, but if you're impatient to get to know more about Musa, I know that Rabbi Marsha can tell you a little bit more about what you can do in this globalized world with the technology that we're enjoying today? Uh, so um, one of the, I teach a lot of Musar classes, but one of them is online. And um, several people from England have been part of it. It's on Wednesdays, um, 1230 Boston time, 1730 uh, UK time, London time, 530 um, PM. And you'd be very welcome to join us. It's uh, every week. Uh, for an hour, and um, it's been really wonderful uh, studying across across the globe together. And we also have a Musar conference coming up on the 23rd of May, which um, Alan Marinus is going to be joining us for, as well as other scholars from around the world. So you'd be very, very welcome to join us if you look on the website of Congregation Mishkantafila. But this was a great pleasure to be with you and to be with you, Mark, as well, and talk about Musar. Thank you. If you want to, uh, as, as Marsha says, just go to Congregation Mishkantafila to find out about what Marsha is speaking about that you could join easily. If you want us to know that you're interested in Musar in the UK, uh, for Monique and I, just again, go on the website of Edgeware Hendon Reform Synagogue, send us an email, and of course, we'll help you. So thank you so much to our guests, Rabbi Marsha Plum of Congregation Mishkan Tefilo of Boston, but also to Liberal Judaism, to Reform Judaism, to Lierbeck College for supporting Progressively Jewish. And we hope that you'll recommend us to your friends and fellow congregants, those who are Jewish and people of all faiths and none. And don't forget to share this episode of Progressively Jewish with your friends and colleagues and to leave us a review with your podcast provider. Now to share your ideas, on the future of this podcast, either comment on the Progressively Jewish Facebook page or email at us, us at progressivelyjewish, one word, at gmail.com. That's progressivelyjewish at gmail.com. Next week's episode will be hosted by uh, Dr. Abby McGrill and Jenny Ellenbogen, um, and they're going to be speaking about Bible, social distancing, health, 
and COVID from their experience as health professionals should be another really fascinating episode of Progressively Jewish. Enjoy and wish you a good week in this week of Parashat Shmini. Goodbye to all of you and Shavuot Tov.